city. It is this sprawling massive place miles and miles across. Been here as long as anyone can remember. Nobles play their power games. Guilds maneuver for money and influence. Dark things emerge from the shadows to hunt. And the lamplighters take everything in while keeping the darkness at bay. The thing I always wonder is why. Why do these lamplighters keep the darkness back? What investment do they have in Avalon? Streets of Avalon, an urban RPG setting by Brett Blazinski for the world's most popular role-playing game. Ask for it at your friendly local game store or head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash streets. Gaming NBS episode 345 being recorded Monday, June 7th, 2021. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad y'all made it. Sean, how, how are you, man? Doing all right? I'm doing, I'm doing okay, Brett. My body is not uh, in pain. Have you, have you, have, oh, I was going to say, have you, have you fully recovered from the basement? Uh, the basement is still in no, flux. Physically, physically, not emotionally recovered. I'm talking about physically recovered because you've got flooring coming, and I need you in prime condition to lay that floor, man. Right. And then I will be sore for days after that happens for exactly. not using muscles that I haven't used since I did the flooring the last time, which was, I don't know, seven years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking forward sh- to it, though. Looking forward to it. Love getting the knee pads on, running around the floor, doing some tappy-tappy. Maybe a tell you what, cut, cross-cut here and there. I hung some drywall the other day with my son. Oh, I love drywall. Love it. Lift and, lift and move some stuff. And at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I'm sweaty. It's kind of uncomfortable. And I remember what it is I do for a living. I'm like, I can actually look down here and say, wow, fucking built that, man. Because the day job is IT guy, you know, director dude is like, huh, what'd you do today? Uh, I was in 20 meetings, said no a lot, laughed at people's ideas. Or encourage people, whatever the case may be, you know, or whatever it is you're doing. You're like, hmm, I don't really feel like I accomplished much. So it is, I think that's part of the fun of RPGs, the creative endeavor of building a world, doing something, having a successful session, all that stuff. You feel like something happened, you know. So that's kind of fun of the home projects. At least that's what I keep telling myself so I don't go mad doing home projects. <laughs> I'm even building my own acoustic panels. Nice. Yep, that's gonna be sweet. Well, between all that crap, did you get any gaming in last week or no? I did. I Since played a Lady Blackbird, and I was Lady Blackbird. I know. Go. Shocker. Did you have fun? I did. It was fun. Mister Wayne Peacock ran it for Sin and Edwin Nagy, and I. Nice. Yeah. Uh, interesting game. Interesting game. I uh, I like it been forever since I've read it. Is it does it is it does it have a PBTA type of feel to it? Um, uh, hmm. or a fatey type of feel, or is it just its own little unique flower? So it's die pool. So okay. every every tag and every trait under the tag the trait trait I think it is trait you get a die you get one for just. Being the player character, you get a die. It's all D6. 
And then you get tags, and if the tags relate to the situation, then you get a die, and then you roll them all up, and fours or above are success. And the difficulty is target number. So, you know. Oh, there you go. It could be three, four. Usually you'll want to do, you could do double the amount of dice to, to really kind of ensure you get it. You can also do um, contribute your own dice out of a pool. Forgot what the pool is called. And then if you fail, you get those dice back. If you succeed, you lose them. But there's ways that you can regenerate those specific dice that are kind of coming and going. So it was good. I think I had one roll that had literally, I don't know, 10 dice. And I think I didn't succeed. Like, I didn't roll a four or above on 10 dice. Well, that's you and I with dice. If I give, I mean, you're worse than I am, but if I give you a 20s fat or any set of dice and say, look, all you have to do is roll above a three, clatter, 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 shunk. Look at that. Fistful of twos and ones. But it was fun. It's, uh, I, I, I know of Lady Blackbird. I had it in my brain. I don't know somewhere between when I heard about it and what was in my brain to the time we played, I lost of what it was about. Like what I know there's lady blackbird. I know that you play pre gens and it's mm -hmm. here is the mission adventure all the time. Same game. All always. It's just how the people same premise. I would say same, same premise. premise. Yeah. Which same. is, which is a thing I've been driving through my head just for the who's at home, because I know some folks like, um, not monster of the week. What's the other, um, the game high school monster kids monster arts monster arts and part of me said same game was in my head and i think i may have said that online in places and i meant same premise that's a better phrase for that so anyway correcting myself there but anyway so but did you did it beat the expectation did yeah it it's, it's kind of like the pulpy kind of borderline steampunky you know um uh, it's as it, you know, and I think I channeled the Star Wars, right? Episode four, pulp, not steamships, but ships flying amongst the clouds, you know, okay. high action, you know, it's so I like the feel of the game. I understand it better. It's kind of a little bit over the top. Wayne asked again. for feedback. I thought, it, you know, it was one session. I didn't have a lot. Edwin mentioned one thing where it was when you do tags. So say your tag is shape-shifting. Yep. How crazy do you get with shape-shifting? Like, where are the limits? Are there limits? I, sh I, I shape-shift into a fly. I shape-shift into a giant. Right, right. Yeah. Is there a body mass limit? What does it got to right. be? Right. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. That would be the... It's, the it's and I, those yeah, after he mentioned that, I'm like, oh, oh, that, yeah, maybe I could see how that... Might be a little weird. Yeah, some of those free-forming, lo very loose, I guess, it, vague rules, probably the only phrase I can think of, but like an open-endedness can be troublesome if you don't have something. But I think the clue there is you've got to have, I want to do this. If someone goes, ugh, kind of thing, you're like, oh, you know, or almost a source of table moment. I'm thinking of using my shapeshift to turn into a bird. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. Or is that too much? It's almost like, you know, does it fit with the genre, the feel, the tone, and blah, 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 blah. Huh. Interesting. 
Good call, by Edwin, though. That's a interesting conundrum you can yeah. get yourself into. Yes. So it was funny. Edwin played my kind of personal bodyguard, Naomi, and Sin played Snargle the Goblin. Nice. So it was a small party, but uh, we were... It was fun. It was a good time, for sure. I'd play it again, and I'd run it, too. Like, I would... All right, here. Throw it out there. Here's the rule. Here's a couple things. Any questions? No? Sounds good. Let's go. Yeah. How was the... Oh, I should say... No, how was the... Did you get any other games in? Did you get in your uh, Forbidden Lands or anything? Forbidden Lands is this Thursday. I played... So when did we, we recorded last Wednesday, and so Correct. at that point I played Delta Green. So we already touched right. on that. Yeah, okay. you, Brett. I know Greyhawk kids game. <laughs> you know, Under yeah. Mountain Star so it was Wars. Under, it was Under Mountain on Thursday. We finally got up and out of Under Mountain. You are Three. no longer under oh, mountain. the mountain i see yeah so yes. we're at uh we went up to the leoni portal we got through skullport teleported up and out but we got another mission or two so we're going back down so kind of fun swapped out some gear for some other cool gear uh sold a lot of the information and stuff we'd found offloaded a bunch of crap to get some better things that we thought were actually more helpful for us so that was really cool then let's see here my first edition forgotten realms game with my kids they had a lot of fun with that. That was a lot. Of, that was pretty cool. They're um, they countered the bad guy last time. They thought he wasn't as powerful as he was. Now they found out he's actually. Ugh, holy crap! I'm glad we didn't actually have to tangle with him last time because he seems wickedly powerful. So they're trying to sort out what what they can and can't do there. So it was kind of fun. Let's see here. What the hell have I got coming? Oh, this Saturday, up for me, I have a Warhammer Fantasy battle. My son, AJ, has decided to take on his old man. He said, I want to fight your ogres. I've got my, this Lizardman army. I'm like, all right, fine. Well, so, so the kid's points. into Warhammer Fantasy? Yeah, he's using my Lizardman army. So it'll be Lizardman versus ogres. And my buddy Alpha is going to come over and ref for us. So that'll be fun. That'll be a good time. Oh, and his game, AJ's Midgard 5e game, is on Wednesday this week. So be playing that that's pretty cool looking forward to it fantastic yeah, that's about it man it's yeah fan- good stuff it's fantastic uh, do, 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 do. let's see here gameocon.com <clears throat> I had uh, I think I said this last time I set up a reminder on Sunday I didn't actually book my events I started going through what I want to run and I'm definitely going to run at least one Avalon game I'm trying to decide if I want to run a Cthulhu adventure as well or Trail of Cthulhu Trying to debate between call and trail, and, um, and trail. then I started. I would so I, I'll tell you why. I would I would say trail only because it's different. It's different, and I think you you're pretty lo- you're more apt to come across the Call of Cthulhu game in a catalog. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. was where I was thinking there. And then when I was thinking about the Avalon stuff, I'm like, huh. No, I should do is I should run two. <clears throat> One of them with. Um, the 5e system another one with like osric or something because i like to run it with a different game system before so i thought that could be kind of fun just to to pull that off so i may do that i don't know and then i started thinking more about simber room and you and i talked about how you want to play it i want to run it you want to run it i want to play it so i'm like okay hmm how do i set this up carve some time with you sean where we could say okay 
if Brett's going to run Simbaroom and Sean's going to play, how do we grab some BSers and somebody and maybe get a you know every other week game going or something? So I gotta I gotta put some I gotta check schedules and make sure what I can make happen with you off off the mics and find out what days, times, and so on that would work, and then see what we can what we can do to get some folks topped in on it. So thinking about that. Because I got a bunch of other games already lined up with my home group that we're going to play in the midst of all the other stuff that's going on. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I all have time to slot a Simbaroom game in with the other stuff I got going. But I got Sean and a whole other community of folks will play with me, so I could probably find somebody who wants to play. So anyway, you and I are going to chat about that offline see what we can figure out. And we got to sort out what we want to do at GameholeCon as just as gaming BS, what we want to do or not do and so on. So... Good stuff. Oh, they're uh, they announced their plushie. I saw the Blink Dog plushie, which looks pretty fucking cute as adorable. Always. It's adorable, absolutely. So I'll probably have to buy at least one of those for one of my kids just to keep the collection going in the house. <laughs> um, but to do, do, yeah, that's about it, man. Anything else? Announcement wise, we good? I don't think so. All right, let's random it up. Let's get in a random encounter. Random encounter. Segment in the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. I'll let you start, sir. First one, Todd Cripper comments on changing the setting. Changing the setting. My comments on this episode are almost the same as for episode 342, how the GM can say no and still make friends. Therefore, if you're good to read this one on air, you'll have to do it twice. You know what, Todd? We're good with that. Yeah. Carry on, Slow Carry week. On. We can do that. Slow week. Go, go for it. Go for it. Uh, finding that right balance of blocking players with an outright no or a no but and adjusting existing settings involves the same technique for me. It's one I've developed for my game, Screenplay, that involves the use of initiatives presented at the table during play. Basically, whatever is presented in-game about the game and its setting remains within control of the player who initiated in the game. So once a player states a fact about this world, it's valid unless it contradicts an initiative already placed into the game. But that initiating player has final say to accept a change if they like this change. Of course, this includes the Game Master. For example, Brett comes up with an idea that all paladins have tattoos as a symbol of their permanent faith to the gods. Then Sean later describes his paladin who doesn't have any tattoos. As that, as that goes against Brett's initi- initiative of inked holy warriors, I, their illustrious and noble GM of the ages, can say, no, paladins look like bikers in this world. Tat that pal up, buddy. But it also provides room for Brett to say, hold on. Why don't they have a tattoo? And Sean can answer with a quick tale of how this paladin changed their deity after finding out their last god was actually Hydra, goddess of serpents and deception, and so they had their tattoos removed. Brett says, hold, hold, hold shit? (laughs) Holy shit, Sean, you magnificent bastard. I love it. Let's do it. And now these two finally have something they can share as they glance at each other lovingly across the table. Todd, you really get us, buddy. You do, man. He really does. As the GM, that means it's my job to introduce the setting and its core possibilities, establish any lines and veils we want, and anything else fundamental to the game. In short, you've got to nail down the key initiatives in an elevator pitch in a, a cross-session zero. 
For some settings, I have stipulated that anything in the core rulebook is locked in stone, but my personal preference in play and by design is to allow everyone to pitch in to make this world their own. As per my parallel dimension theory of campaign settings, this approach allows me to enforce what I need to enforce in the game and provides me that opportunity to give a hard no without being a dick about it. It also allows me to adjust our safety tools and play and encourage all players to take ownership of their part of the world. It's a technique that's worked out well over the years and helps encourage creative input in a writer's table game or help convert a GM controls the world game to something more collaborative. Nice. That's cool stuff, Todd. That guy and is I know, just, that's, he's just too much. <laughs> Todd Crapper. He just, I, his name flashes in front of me. I'm like, like too much. Too much. The cool part here is, of course, Todd is saying, I shouldn't say the cool part. One of the many cool parts here is Todd saying, hey, I like this. This is a cool thing. E, and um, <clears throat> one of the great things I think everybody we talk to in our community pulls forward is like, this is fun for me and this is a thing I like to do. And if you like to do a similar type of thing, this is a method or a tool I use. And I really, I like this idea. I've not thought about this concept of you popped a thing out there and therefore you own it, quote unquote, one way, shape or form. And I can think about when I read this before I got on the mics, I thought, I've actually had this done in my game. We haven't done it on in, <clears throat> excuse me, on purpose, where there was a mechanic to it or there was like it was called for. But somebody developed something, someone said something, it became canon. And then somebody else said something, and the whole group, myself including as game master, turned to that person and said, "Does that work?" You know, a similar approach. It just it wasn't done in an official like, "Hey, this is how we're running the whole game," but it's popped up over the years. I can't say when it happened last, but I definitely recall a few instances of it occurring, and it was kind of fun because the player who threw that out there, you could see the the sense of pride, like, "Wow, I built that thing." I said it, and everyone else at the table, all these gamers think that's a cool thing and are asking my permission as a peer as to whether or not they can they can modify or does this work with the thing, the cool thing you said. So that was kind of cool. I like that idea, and I'm wondering if I should do more of that or how I could do it, you know, even every once in a while, sprinkling it in and so on. I like that, Todd. Thank you. Lots to think about there for me. Thanks. <laughs> All right, what we got here, Spook 408 coming on changing the setting as well. Really only had that done once. I was playing the fantasy trip and decided it's deadly uncompromising system had to go. Supported it to Blade in the Dark. The players were crew of scoundrels doing jobs that felt like a match, mostly. First, it became a traditional fantasy setting. Guns became crossbows. People rode horses, not donkeys. It was nowhere close to how dark and desperate their setting is. I also threw out what I perceived as some of the best rules of the game, principally because my players did not take to it. Much to my surprise, they enjoyed taking hours to set up the job perfectly rather than a few minutes to roll, um, excuse me, a few minutes in a roll that cast them into action. Player skill figure. But without a doubt, the biggest aid I got was from the digital map of the city of Dusk Bowl that I bought. The first thing I did was toss the city's name. I wanted the macro view to disappear and the focus to be on the neighborhoods. Now it's referred to as just the city. Then to my surprise, I found I could digitally edit it. That alone has helped with the player immersion. I don't know if that was intended or not, but what a great aid. I've colored their territory so they can watch it grow and shrink. All the places they've visited are red starred as well as where NPCs live. 
This alone has made the city a dynamic place. Players can literally see how they're changing their world. It's been a blast. This has become one of my favorite games I've ever run. Spook408, man, I love that you're doing that. I actually, one of the things I love about online gaming and my Greyhawk game, specifically, I've got the Grand Duchy of Jeff. I have a map up there. Every time they go somewhere, I edit it. I go, whack. You're here, Goblin Cave. Work hold, whack. You know, Temple of Iron, pow. Whatever they're encountering is labeled. Anything that's new that goes on there, like the city of Gorna, yeah, that's there. But this is new. And that's really, really cool. And I think especially if you're adding stuff, my kids and I started doing it with, um, I'm not one for writing in, in RPG books, but I have multiple copies of the um, um, uh, Frat Realms original maps that came in the box set. So I've started taking to writing on it for my kids. Like you did something here. This cool thing happened here. This cool thing happened there. Making it our own. It's kind of fun. And even if you... Um, from changing the setting perspective, modifying a map it is a form of that. I did not think about to bring up on the show, and I'm glad you brought it up because that's fucking cool. I do it, and I should have said it, and I'm glad because this is a damn fine example. I love it. Sean, do you do anything like that with maps and stuff? Kind of adjust them or show where people are? Forbidden lands, we have to because it's a hex crawl. So. And they get XP for hexes that they've gone through. So, but if they double back, they don't get XP for it. So I got to gotcha. keep track of the hexes they actually go through. Well, I'll tell you though, that's, you and I have talked plenty about uh, Forbidden Lands. That's one of the cool things about a good hex crawl is that actual sense of them blowing the map out. Yeah. It's a big white sheet of paper, man. This stuff starts to explode wherever I've gone. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, this was good, Spook. Thank you. Very good stuff. Over to you, sir. All right. Lastly, going back to January. To Pete's question that I think we might have missed. My group's typical gaming sessions are around four hours. We mostly play something dark like Call of Cthulhu, post-apocalyptic, or a zombie game where we sometimes are the lesser of two evils. Although the games are usually great, we decide to lighten it up a bit. Mini games. Before each session, another player, not the game master for the main game of the night, runs a mini game. This game usually lasts 15 minutes and is light and ridiculous. How are some, here are some examples. Your band just got their big break. Beyonce is unable to perform at the Super Bowl last minute and you get a call. You must arrive before anyone else does. On your way, you must take out Snoop Dogg, Caddy overflowing with smoke, Shakira, Marilyn Manson, and so on. Funny, stupid, light. <laughs> Twilight Zone, five characters in search of an exit. Mind, mindfucky. Next will be a few characters from Robert Rodriguez's films, Seth Gecko, Clooney, Machete, Trejo, El Mariachi, Banderas, Cheryl Darling, McGowan. They are fighting their way through the night, vampire apocalypse, at a bar where Salma Hayek is the entertainment. Stupid, light, funny, and vaguely familiar, actually. (coughs) Vaguely. From from Dust Till Dawn. Uh, Other benefits. Multiple Game Masters. Everyone in my group is a GM that wants to run every session. This, although brief, allows two GMs to run in one night. New Game Masters. This is the biggest plus. Some players have never GM'd, DM'd, kept, mothered a game. This broke the ice for some of my players and was nice because it only lasted a few minutes. Also, no one was bummed due to their character dying. Mini one-shot game. 
now I have a lot of GMs and good games where I can also play. So the topic was, does any, oh, he's, yeah. Does anybody do this? Does anybody do this? I have never done that. I don't know how long your sessions are. I don't know if I could pull it off, but I love the idea, though. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, appetizer, like appetizer before the entree hits, right? Right. Type of thing. Like sit down. We're gonna we're gonna have the story time. Gonna and have then a we're gonna get out to RPG session. Session. Yeah. I have been it's damn near like a mini con every time this this group get Pete's group gets together, right? You play this small game, take a quick break, jump to the other game that you're going to. Well that's kinda cool to get um especially since you have a lot of game masters who wanna run all those sessions, right? Who wanna pull that shit together. I think that's that's a very creative and cool way so that gyms it helps to avoid the gm burnout piece because you know you're gonna get to play a little bit so there's that creative muscle you get to flex and all those game masters who want to do that type of thing they have a place to do it that's pretty cool and then everybody could uh, i would assume then they get a chance to say hey guess what i'm gonna run the next call of cthulhu game pete you're out you get to do the mini game next time sweet you know that's that's pretty fucking cool you got a built-in rotation you don't um lose that itch to gm but you get plenty of playtime too yeah that's kind of i don't know if i could pull it off but i like it what'd you think man i thought it was cool i don't know if i would um i don't know i know when i would probably try it but i don't see that coming about anytime soon i don't fair enough I my group yeah I don't know maybe some of these ideas we've talked about this before some ideas that we or our listeners have are, don't fit everybody or every group or their play style right. I I applaud this type of thing because it's it's a a group of people that have figured out a way to do a really cool creative thing with a really cool creative thing <laughs> right yeah. that's that's pretty neat that's really cool I've never heard of anybody else doing that somebody out there probably is but fucking hey that's awesome. That's pretty slick. Cool. Neat, neat, neat. Yeah, I thanks. Like you ready? Shall we? Yeah, we shall. Main topic. All right, Brett. What are we talking about tonight? Well, Mr. Salzweedle, Eric, wrote in, and he was... Talking about potential show topic about monitoring encounters on the fly. Monitoring. Modifying. Monitoring? What the fuck point would that be? I had a big monitoring discussion about IT today. Forgive me. Modifying encounters on the fly. Ever start an an encounter, can't talk, that you planned out and go, dang, this is harder than I thought, or they just chunk three quarters of the big bad's hit points in the first round. That was supposed to be a big boss fight. Man. How do you feel about adjusting monsters' hit points up or down, adding extra damage, taking away things, adding minions, etc.? Here's a neat example here where you said, I recently ran an encounter with a Basilisk in 5e. It was the first time that I've ever been able to use the creature in my 20-plus years of gaming. The player characters had found the creature's lair with some travelers outside frozen in stone. They then decided that, hell, let's not go to the cave. Let's wait for the Basilisk to come out. We'll ambush it. Smart move. And as the game master was not going to circumvent or punish the players for coming up with a good idea. They made their stealth check, set up a trap, which they made a survival check, and destroyed the Basilisk in two turns. <laughs> now the players got to feel very accomplished about this. They defeated a difficult monster rather easily and took no wounds. 
the question I would ask myself through this really an interesting encounter was, should I have made it harder? Or should I have given the Basilisk more hit points after the first round of the encounter? Drag it out a little bit, make it go a little bit longer, make the PCs feel like there's more of a challenge. He also states that lately some of the bigger boss battles have uh, fallen short. Players typically have a good tactic and roll well and manage to defeat the enemy soundly without endangering them very much. And no, I'm not the type of GM that feels bad when monsters get killed, nor do I have a strong interest in slaying a bunch of characters. I just want interesting stories. And so I'll just say it flat out. I mean, there's always the, the fudge the dice component, right? You fudge the dice, you, you muck with the hit points. Those are, in D&D terms, the big grill in the room, right? Like, give it some more hit points, make it last longer, fudge some dice, it critically hits a player. Those things, I think, are really basic. Uh, but I think there's some, some higher level, if you will, or some sneakier Game Master shit we can talk about here. So that's kind of what I'm hoping we can get into, Sean. So, Sean... Do you modify encounters like that? If you get into something and it's going too easy, going too hard, whatever it is, do you modify encounters? And for this particular case, I don't want to talk about traps, checks outside. Of, we're talking about combat type of encounters here. So let's try to focus on a combat encounter. So in a Star Wars game, anything, do you fuck with those? Or do you just like, hey, turns out they can kill a dragon in two hits. Hey, look at that. They fucking murdered Boba Fett. Moving on. You know. What happens? I come on, you can tell. Ooh, ooh. no one's no one's no one's listening. No one's no, listening. We know that we know this. No one listens to us. It's fine. I <laughs> do, but I would also ask. So here's the thing with with Eric's conundrum is, you could go into it, beef up the encounter, or even lower the encounter, and then the game group. And the players start rolling like crap. So it's a weird thing. Like if your players are on fire, they're going to take down a buttload of stuff. If your dice are cold, even if the players are average, they hit every other, there's five of them, they hit every other person, and you can't hit all night long. Right. Or your, that happens. your tune has maybe two attacks, three tops you're playing with six players they're rolling four of them have initiative before you do they nail you four times in a row maybe one of them has two attacks so maybe they're nailing you five times and even in games that aren't like dnd i mean you talk about pbta games if your players are on fire and they're like double six 11 11 10 12 they're, just, they're rolling hot right? right and nothing bad is happening you're like okay Everything good, always and forever, apparently. If you're playing, uh, you know, a Star Wars game and the dice are coming up hot. You know, crazy kick-ass um, success, oh, plus advantage. Oh, crazy kick-ass success, plus, you know, extra force points, plus this, plus that. You're like, fuck me. You just can't seem to, poor monster can't catch a break, man. <laughs> the, the bad guy can't catch a break. It happens. And I think the other interesting piece here is with Eric doesn't care, and I think this is key here, is I don't feel bad if the bad guy dies. I just feel bad if it's boring. Right. If you're if it's a walkthrough or, or oh, one of these again? Okay, no problem. Last time we dispatched, you know, a basilisk in a, what, two rounds was it, Brett? Two rounds? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yes, it was two yeah, rounds. Yeah, it was two rounds. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty easy. 
So yeah, okay. Oh no, now there's two of them. Ooh, Ooh. you know. Oh, Great. you doubled down with four demi liches now. What oh. people can do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you wanted to have Eric's objective is to have it be challenging and not yep. walk through the park. So I think action, action so you economy. Do, you do you do modify them though. I do modify them. Yes. The answer and is I do, yes. I will. So, I mean, if it is, if it is something where um, it, it's kind of a, I don't know it. It's happening all the time. Maybe then the third time I bump it up a little bit or whatever. I don't want to do it necessarily, but it's also sometimes dependent upon what's going on. Like maybe I don't even plan the encounter, right? Their base is oh. being overrun. Shit, I don't know how many goblins are going to have to go after the party. Oh, there's four of players today, not six like I thought. Let's see, four players... Mm -hmm. I'll throw eight tunes at him. That should probably be okay. Eh. Turns out the other players are the ones that always roll good, and these four can't roll, or vice versa. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of others. I think with with Eric's post and his kind of conundrum and questions that he poses, I am I'm the game master that is susceptible to having one brain and one stat block and having to know all the rules yeah of of all of all the players because what'll happen is if you if you're really awesome and is and you have system mastery specifically like 5e then you can know Brett's guy Eileen's tune mm. you know Ange, Angela's tune Harrigan's and then you're going to know what they're going to do potentially and you know what those effects are I don't do that mm -hmm. as a game master. I could, I don't know what the hell, what spell does what it's up to the player. Let me know. Okay, great. But if you do, then you're going to, you're going to have an idea of what they're going to pull out against your guy. And that way you can predict that and you can maybe adjust. So as a game, so the thing is the game master, you're playing with four people that are their game. Their mastery is their sheet. Yes. And here's the other fun part. We've talked about this with tactical games in the past is that it's your brain against four other brains. That's right. my point. Right. So it, it's me. It's me playing chess against four other chess guys. Right. And those chess men and women are as good or better than I am because they know their shit inside out. They've been coming up with these wicked ass combos. And I'm trying to figure this out on my own. So to answer my own question before we go to a trial, yes, I absolutely modify encounters. I've got a method I use in kind of a, <clears throat> a high-level approach we'll talk to you in a, here in a second. But I think it's one of those pieces, honestly, that I think it's good game mastering to do it in some way or another. And I don't necessarily mean fudging dice and adding hit points, like I said. I mean, there's other ways to do this, and I think it can make it more interesting. You know what I mean? Because what we're talking about, I think what Eric says at the end, I just want interesting stories. And I read that as he wants interesting outcomes, wants it fun, he wants it to be, <clears throat> it's not always just a walk in a park, right? We've talked about easy wins. Those are fun to have sometimes. But you know, the big bad fight or the basilisk one, you want it to be this kind of cool event. And how do you help make it cool? You know, sometimes the, <clears throat> do you just decide that the, the dice will absolutely tell you whether it's hot or cold? You know, because there's, there's pieces in here. That, anyway, so... 
think I cut you off. Were you saying something? I totally jumped in on you. Did I? No, 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 not at all. So one of the things that you said, let me throw this out there. When you said one stat sheet, and I think there's a piece we should do here that we can do, is that when you have the Basilisk or, you know, the Mandalorian bounty hunters coming after you or whatever the fuck it is, I have I have done this before. I stopped doing it because I've kind of built the muscle is what I would do around it. But I have built multiple of those in the past. <clears throat> I should encourage my son to do it. Multiple encounters or multiple tunes? Multiple versions of the same bad guy. Oh, sure. So here's a bad guy. The bad guy has, this basilisk has, if you read it, it could have an average of 50 hit points or as many as 110. So, depending how the first set goes, the first round or first two, I may may choose after that and say, this is the one. And, or the other thing I'll do is say, look, this thing can do, you know, turn to stone, so on, great, good, powerful, awesome. It also has claw claw bite or whatever else it's doing. And it can do an average, 5e has average numbers, you know, or I could say, you know what, I'm going to knock the average down by three. Because the players can't catch a break. I want to drag the fight out. And if this monster just grinds through them, you know, I'm not cutting it down. But what I'm doing is I'm purposely building the thing to be weaker or tougher. One way, shape, or form. I don't consider that the same as fudging the dice or just dragging things up and down. Because what I'm doing is I'm taking the time. I used to take the time anyway. To take the stat block and build it up. In the Pathfinder days, I'd add a feat to it, right? This creature has, I'd say, you know what? I've got a list of feats I could add to this thing to make it tougher. And I think it'd be fun to add some cool stuff like, hey, um, blind fighting. That could be fun in case they figure out a way to do this. It has tremor sense. It has this, 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 this. Cool. So I'd just throw that stuff on a different build of the critter. Kind of depending how it was going, I'd be like, you know what? This is the interesting one. I would stick. I'd stick with it. So that's a thing you can do that I've done in the past. Does that make any sense to you, Sean? It does. It's like uh, Adventurers League when they they have encounter. They have it may not be the same monster, mm-hmm. but they they scale it for the different tiers, right? That the players are playing. So it's it's a, a different approach that that's kind of mimics that a little bit. I'll tell you what I. My main thing that I do, I didn't put this in the notes. I should have. I apologize, man. But I try to figure out what, how can I make the players screw themselves? And here's oh. what I mean. So the Basilisk, he's in this hole. Tell me more. And and this is hindsight 2020. So we're actually like, oh, damn you, Brett, you dick. Or he'll be like, whatever, man. I thought about that. But, you know, anyway, what I would like to do if I had that, I had the Basilisk in his cave. And I'm like, okay, they're going to go in. It's going to do this. And they go, huh, I, as a group of players, have outthought you, Brett. We're going to do this thing. I go, well, huh, fuck, interesting. So you've got a trap out there. You're waiting for the Basilisk to come out. There's a couple ways you can do that. So you say, all right, you guys are in position. You got the trap set. Everything's good. How long did you want to wait? Well, until it comes out. Two hours, four hours, two days. How long does a Basilisk sleep? Well, I don't know. I'm not telling you. How long do you think it's going to sleep before it comes out? Huh. So I go behind the screen. I grab a six-sider. Maybe a couple of them. And I roll it. And I say, okay, three hours have passed. You still waiting? <laughs> like, fuck. Um, hmm. 
Do we hear anything? Give me a listen check. Yeah, there's kind of a grumbling, snuffling, lizardy, scrapey sounds. And it kind of dies away. Do you still want to keep waiting? Yeah, I'll wait for a little bit longer. How long is that? I don't know. Click. Two more hours go by. You've been here five hours. Anybody got a pee yet? Just wondering because you're gonna you've been here five hours. All right. And then they start getting antsy. Players like, God damn fucking thing isn't gonna come out. It's gotta come out at some point. It's a waiting game. The other option is when the or you you do that for a little bit. They say, okay, we'll wait four hours. Then you tell them, look, three hours and forty five minutes go by, and you hear it start to come out. They're like, oh, thank God. They didn't sit around there doing nothing, but that narrative piece where you tell them they waited for three and a half, three hour, three and three quarters hours. Like, fuck, we really waited a long time, man. The players start getting edgy. They want this to happen. The basilisk comes out. The trap is there. The first thing it does is it gets out there. I grab my D20. And I roll it to see, does it spot anything? Does it senses kick in? It's survival kick in. Somebody changed its lair. This animal's like, <laughs> picks its head up side to side, sniffing, looking, nuzzling the ground, flipping over rocks, doing all this stuff like, oh, fuck. Did it see our trap? I don't know. You rolled. It either saw the trap, didn't see the trap, whatever happens. Doesn't matter. You describe what it's doing. And then you look at the players and say, what do you want to do? Well, how long does it do that for? It's like five minutes. It's still like nuzzling rocks. And you know that one rock you guys use to kind of like licks that thing a few times. Looks like it's tasting something. Licks the air a lot. What do you want to do? You want to wait for it or do you want to take action? Using those words, the player's like, fuck, what do we do? Do we jump it? Do we wait for it to get to the trap? What do we do? Players kill it. Kill it. Kill it. 80% of the time. Kill it. Roll it for initiative. So, we're going to so kill it. We're gonna, like actively. Yeah, whatever. Fuck it. I go. Who gives a shit? Whatever. Nice. Sniff, sniff. Kill paying, it. Kill it. Kill it. If you've, been, if you've been paying attention to your players, you've got that one trigger happy SOB, and uh, they're going to be like, fight, fireball. <laughs> like, wham. Oh, you wrecked the surprise. You wrecked the ambush. So I could go on like that, right? And part of it is, is there's, I believe this is going to sound arrogant. I think with the groups I play with often, I develop the sense of how long I can drag that type of thing out. And what I'm trying to do is through narration and, and verbal, verbally tensing and poking the players and teasing them, trying to prod them into action and to break their own plan. And sometimes the players knuckle in. They, you see them squirm in their chair like, no, we ain't moving. Nope. They're going to hit the trap. And they just sit. We ain't moving. Awesome. And you reward them. You're absolutely like Eric did. You reward them. They get in there. Bam. That's taught them a couple things. One, it might not go as it is, but if you have a plan and you're confident and secure in that plan, let it take shape. It might take a little bit longer, whatever it is. So they'll put, they they find value in the planning then, right? Because you didn't just blow it all the hell. Oh, okay, Brett will just fucking wreck our plans. Then we shall not screw us. So it doesn't even make sense to make a plan. Just charge in, right? Because that's boring too um, from a game master perspective sometimes. So it's teaching the players. It's not like you're here to teach them, but it's showing them that, hey, the plans work. If you do something cool, I will reward you, but it takes time. You know, it's not like, fine, the trap goes off, the basilisk takes a bunch of hit points, you just roll, 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 it's dead. Right. <laughs> I'm sure that's not how Eric did it, but that's the type of thing I like to do. And with boss battles, um, having, you know, fighting retreats and so forth, having him move around, um, doing different, different tactical things as opposed to just fight, fight, fight. And uh, but anyway, I guess th- does that make sense, Sean? The whole kind of drag it out, try to get the players to 
mess themselves up? Yeah, it does. I think. Do yes. you do that? Have you ever done that? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, kind of, sorta. Not so much. I, I so, would. I think what I need to do with it. You've never done that. Does no, nobody wants to touch the magic sword? Well, it could be cursed. Well, that I do. Maybe sure. it's not that. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Move it to your encounter. Who goes in first? Did you say you were going in first? Yeah, so let's let's get this straight because if you're going in, we got to figure out who's going in first. Right. I need to, I, no. I always say I need to know. I need to yeah. know who's touching this. I need to know where everybody's at. Who's going in? Well, we, uh, hold on a second. We go in. What? We you got a mouse in your pocket? Everybody. Yeah. So you're speaking Everybody. for the party then? Everybody. Yeah. You good with following Brett? Oh no! Hell no, man! No, no, not me. Oh, okay. that guy's fucking crazy. But, but there's like, with, like, with encounters like dragging the shit out. Yeah, with the encounters, it's they're they're too easy to not do anything other than you hear something, you notice it, you don't notice it. Roll for initiative. It's too easy. One thing I don't think we do either, which some players will say, "Oh, you're pulling punches," which is have somebody else kill the creature before you. I have. Hey, somebody's walking long. along there. They've been hunting this thing. They've been tracking it. They come out from from the flank, take it out, suck the wind I, right I, out of the players. I, I haven't done it with NPCs, but I've done it with monsters in the wilderness, where they're like trying to find X, Y, and Z. Like, okay, it's up there. They're creeping up on it, and there's this horrible screeching sound, this flapping of leather wings, and a fucking wyvern just like piles in on top of the critter they're hunting. Like, oh yeah, another bigger creature what eats the fuck a smaller is that? creature. Oh, yeah. Shit, you know, or they're fighting hobgoblins in the middle of that. You know, a hill giant walks up just because what's going on here? You know, right. mixing up the fight. The other, so that's another component with the basilisk fight. To use that as an example, what noise does it make as soon as it's wounded? Does it make this horrible roaring, pounding noise? You know, maybe right. there's only one basilisk. You can always add another one. That's kind of. Um, easy to do that, but it could draw attention to something else. You know, a couple of paratons flying above, or an NPC, or an ogre, or a brownie, a pixie. Something else could come to just kind of engage the players in some way. But yeah, I what I try to do is um, one of the notes I had here is to, to kind of keep a list of expectations and to try to help you stay on track. So. What I try to do myself is if I have, even if it's just a mental bullet list, is like, look, this creature is strong, it's wary, it's cunning, it's really old. You know, I have done it where I have, um, I was running a homebrew world at one point, and um, I was running trolls much more like the trolls from The Hobbit, where they talked a lot, were kind of stupid and so on. But I nerfed this band of trolls. Um, regeneration because they were so old. They were ancient trolls. So they didn't regenerate like they used to. So they, they, were, they were bullies and they would threaten, but they would run from fights because they just don't like, it, it takes forever to heal now, right? So they're feeling mortal. So I'd write this list down like they're, you know, they're tough or they're, they act tough, but they're actually regenerations weak because they're old. I had players encounter Gorgon one time. I modded the monster where the Gorgon in the, underneath the streets of Avalon, it couldn't breathe. Its jaw had been broken. Its whole face had been crushed in at one point through something else. They eventually find out what that is. But it couldn't breathe more than like 
a five foot square in front. It had this little whew, little puff of turning to stoneism <laughs> in front of it. But that was it. It just couldn't get any out. It was damaged horribly. The scare the fuck out of the players. They had to figure out how bad is that? Is it like a partial attack? How did Brett modify this monster? And if you're not good at modifying monsters, it's not something you like to do. Just the raw behavior of the creature, as I tried to illustrate with the basilisk thing, having it snuffle around, lick the rocks, taste the air, try to uh, like show it trying to figure things out. Not a blow by blow, minute by minute, but just say, okay, it does this for half an hour. A half an hour? Yeah. You guys sitting there for the half hour? Yeah, I don't know. Do we sit there for a half hour? You can start that conversation with the group, and then that even if they get the full reward, they dig in like a tick and like, nope, we have a plan. We will see the plan through. And it fucking works like a dream. They go, yes, I knew that plan would work. There's this wonderful sense of accomplishment. They got past all of your chicanery trying to fuck with them. So they defeated the chicanery and the monster. How awesome is that? I think that to me, that's always been, I feel that's cool. So I don't, and uh, hopefully Eric, if you listen to this, I, I'm not, hopefully you think that's cool too. And it's not a terrible idea, but, and, but um, that's, that's a piece, but I, I it, with bad guys too, having that list of how they operate or what they're concerned about. So Sean, like if you're running, um, I would assume like in uh, forbidden lands and some of that stuff, the Russ brothers you've talked about, or you've talked about certain other things where the, the critters run away. Like I'm not getting involved in that. Well, and they're they're human, human. They're they're, you know, human creatures. So they have mm-hmm. intelligent, right? Highly intelligent. But I don't. That's another thing I don't think we do too is we don't have a lot of beasties. Act smart. Leave. Like run. Like I'm getting my ass kicked. I'm hurt. You know, and I'm not. I'm not cornered. Like most most creatures in the world don't want to screw with you. They want to go in the opposite direction. The only time yes. that they attack you is when they're cornered. They don't have a choice. In my uh, in my Greyhawk game, the guys have encountered more goblins that will give up and surrender than they l- like to fucking deal with. Because <laughs> the first time the goblins surrender, like, okay, little bastard, all right, be kind, be kind to it. We got some good characters in here. We got to be careful. We promised that we wouldn't do this. Okay, you're free now. Okay, good. They walked away. Yeah, tried to stab the cleric the last one. They tried to stab the cleric and run at the last second. Like, god damn that little bastard. But it was um. Things like that. So that behavior list. So when I think about modifying creatures, to me, the low hanging, the sounds, again, I don't mean to sound arrogant, folks, but the, the easy stuff is the hit points and the damage output, modifying that stuff. I think the behavior components make the encounters more interesting. How the bad guy, the horrible, you know, evil sorceress, how she behaves, how the evil, whatever it behaves, how the, you know, how the troll talks to you, how all that stuff happened, all that matters. You know, how does the, the, um, I, I don't, I don't know, um, the Nexu. I, I think there's a Nexu in that one adventure you ran for us that time. There, there are. How it behaved changed how we reacted to it because there were mecha mechanical components to it or something. It was weird. We noticed and we paid attention to what it did and we went, whoa. The mod, the creature was modified, but its behavior caused us just its look. And sometimes just the look of the thing. If the basilisk, the next time they meet a basilisk, it's bright red. Why is it bright red? Meet the basilisk and it's a pet of something else. 
and yeah. you just killed the pet. I'll tell you what, there's a series <laughs> by the name of John Wick, and they killed his dog. Make that a D&D &D &D session. <laughs> you just, John called the my, bad guy. just killed my basilisk. Oh, you shouldn't have done Son that. <laughs> my, my lover gave me the basilisk just before they died of cancer. That's you right. Know, bastards. And then you're all dead. Yeah. Um, I think the other component, if you want to mess with rules and so forth, and you're not confident. So you look at that stat block for whatever game you're running or however you want to do the die rolls um, or whatever <clears throat> your randomizer of choice, whatever it happens to be. If you understand the core mechanics, however you mess with the bad guys, the NPCs, the monsters, whatever they are. <clears throat> so if you decide, hey, you know, I really want to make this big boss battle kind of cool. I've got some cool personality traits. I've, I want to have this stuff. I want to mess with the mechanics on the fly here, right? is the, the big piece. When I say, hey, I want to do something, I I decide I'm going to roll a die. I'm going to use the core mechanic. Is it a d20 with advantage? I'm like, you know what? This creature gets it. I, I pull it out there. That basilisk walks out. All right. So he gets his, uh, you know, sniff out the bullshit. Uh, by the way, I'm rolling with advantage because this is his lair. I just modified that monster on the fly. They put a trap out. They drug their scent all over the place. They didn't clean it up. This is the basilisk's home. I decide to make this encounter more interesting. I want to juice this a little bit. I want to give the basilisk a decent chance to notify that trap. Just so you know, look around the table. Hey, that little bastard, he gets to roll with an advantage. Oh, shit. It is his home. Yep, that makes sense. It's a core mechanic, and everybody will buy it. On the other direction, if the players do something really cool, and you've decided that based on your little bullet point piece, you're like, huh, this this bad guy is arrogant, blah, 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 thinks the characters are beneath him. And Ange says, I do X. And you're like, holy crap, I feel stunned. You know what? Do that with advantage, Ange. Do it with advantage. You stun me as game master. I'm a bad guy stunned. Fuck it. Hit me with advantage. Do it. It may only happen at one point, only at that one time. But you've given somebody a thing. It could be inspiration. It could be a you know light side point, dark side point, whatever, gene intrusion, whatever your system of choice is. But what's happening there is that using the core mechanic on the fly to make the mods. And when I talk about the um, the prep ahead of it is basically that bullet point list and so forth. It's just stuff for you to reference. So that way, if the encounter is not going in an interesting fashion, if you are... If you don't get the feeling, and some of this is just a feel, or even if you don't think, like, boy, I think this is going to be a cakewalk. This is not as tough as I think it's going to be. Any prep you've done, you know, understanding the system mechanics, the core pieces, understanding how that creature or bad guy operates, you can stay on track towards the cool encounter fight by modifying on the fly to keep those things moving in that direction i don't know does that make sense sean yeah you could always I think you, met, you mentioned system mastery i just want to point out that i think you're you're dead on that there's there's a level there you don't have to know everybody character stuff but really understand the core mechanics and how it functions within is a big deal sorry yeah no it's just too easy with players ganging up on one monster to to, to down it and uh you know i would say there's just a lot of different options you can throw. It, one of the things, too, is, um, you know, one monster, maybe it's the, the baby monster. Mama hasn't come along yet. 
but you wait to see what happens. So it's not a mm-hmm. it's not a pull and punches thing or not. It's well, they get through the first one and they're going through it with like Swiss cheese, and it's yeah. I mean, it's making noises. You know, you're gonna fucking yep. stab it. It's gonna scream. And then mama hears it, daddy hears it, whatever. A, a troop of them, whatever. I think I told you Lenny did this to us with uh, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. We were playing 3-0, Monty Cook's cool adventure. Going through that, we <clears throat> were doing well enough. We killed Thrommel. We were mopping up things. We were starting to kick some ass. We were really, we were doing well, very, very well. The bad guys left. They took all their cool shit and fled. We didn't get to kill them at all. We cleaned out a couple temples, but in the spire, the really cool shit, the big, oh my God, they left. We were so, like, we were just marching and crushing and destroying our way through this thing so handily. And when and once we defeated Thrommel, they're like, we're out. They just bailed. And that was a, he decided on the fly, the way these NPCs are written, their behaviors, their they're here for elemental evil. They're here to do this. They're here to do that. They are chaotic. They're lawful evil. And some are cowards and some are blah, blah, blah. Fuck it. They leave. Yeah. And I think you, you said most, most, most animals don't fight to the death unless cornered, let alone anything with intelligence. So having your big boss, and sometimes it's very cheesy to have the big boss leave in the middle of the fight. They run away through a trap door. No one has seen. But having the, the PCs get to... If you're using a dungeon, for example, if a spaceship or whatever, and they get from the entrance corridor to the room and like, huh, some of a bitch hit the ejector pods. Where is he now? The fucking Empire had to go track those droids all the way to a desert planet. God damn it. <laughs> what you do? What you do with the Death Star plans? I don't know. Could be on one of the 52 pods that ejected out of the goddamn ship. Great. You know, that's just shit you can. I mean, those are things where you. Uh, again, I think it's a behavior component is where, for me, where the money is for modifying the stuff on the fly. Having them behave in a different way, um, it, it can it can really just change things up. And I think that, especially if it's a messing with their plans, they've got the bad guy, they've got, you know, they've got the Mandalorian bad bastard cornered. Like, okay, we know where he is. We're going to jump us when he comes out of the canteen. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And just something as simple as the Mandalorian stops for two more drinks, man. It, it, it take, I never said he was coming out in five minutes. You just said you're going to wait till he comes out. Okay. Two hours later, you're still there. And a statement like that is not... Like, well, what do you do for the next two hours? Well, if it takes two hours, I guess we'll rethink our plans. Uh, no, you've been there two hours. I just whoosh, The time's gone. You've wasted, quote unquote, two hours. You can use derogatory terms like that, too, just to get players thinking. And I really love doing that, especially big bad guys. If they're smart, if they're a lich, right. if they're Palpatine, if they're nasty bad guys. And she's been manipulating and she's set up as like the, the master manipulator superhero villain. Fucking A. She's going to mess with you. That's how that's going to work, you know. So, Sean, when you when you're modifying encounters, what what is your do you have a go to method? That's mine. I over I did my usual. I babbled too much on the man, but I don't do know you if have I have a thing you like to do. I don't have a go to. Um, surrender is always kind of 
pull that out of my butt all the time. Um, that's always a moral quandary, right? Killing everything, and then the one stops and says, "I surrender. Don't kill me." Does the lawful good paladin kill them? Like they throw their weapon down, they're you know. You're re- the the rebels have taken over this that and other thing, and five stormtroopers just drop their weapons, put their hands up. Right. Fuck. They're they're not automatons. They didn't just die. They surrendered. And that's why you got to make an empathy roll in Forbidden Lands to murder somebody. <laughs> yeah. And in, and I'll have, I'll say in Delta Green they got to make a sanity check too if they just do it outright. Yeah, if you just cold walk up, pock. Yeah, I mean they surrender or whatever, and you're like, ah, oh, I don't care. Boom. Yeah, that's you know? a little rough. In vampire, even if in vampire in the old days, I don't know if it, how it is now, but that was like uh, humanity's check. Yeah, you're you're fucking. What'd you just do? Which was a shock to some of the folks I played with. Who are like very used to the old D and D. Why just cut its throat and kill it? Right. What? I chop its foot off, make it talk. <laughs> you know. Which you get in arguments, about, and then that's the old torture. I've just had it, not had enough of this shit type of conversation, and you get that fight. But yeah, it's just making the thing a moral quandary. You know, the basilisk walks out, and there's a young one with it. Okay, what do you do? I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, the basilisk has been slaughtering people, lots of them, but. It's got a baby. That baby looks cute. What do I do with the baby? You know, ah, anything to make. I think a lot of what we're saying here is anything to make the players question their plan, their motives, the reasoning, right? Get them to stop and think about is the course of action you're taking right now the one you still want to take? Right? When the bad guy takes the blacksmith's son and says and decides that instead of fighting to the death or before he flees, before the evil cleric flees out the back, he unchains the sacrificial victim and throws the blacksmith's son at you. Here he is! And throws him. He's alive. He's crying. He hits the floor and he's screaming and needs help. And the bad guy's running away. Anybody stop and give the kid aid? Or do you just ignore the kid that you came to save and and chase after the evil cleric? Right, that changed the whole dynamic of the fight right there. It's not an inanimate object that's chained to the sacrificial altar anymore. It's no longer the jewels you came to steal back. When the bad guy is, you're chasing him through. I could totally see this happening in a Blades in the Dark game after having played it. Right, you're going through the party like we did with Craig Shipman when he was running for you mean Frank House, and say we're supposed to get a box of jewels, right? And somebody is on a balcony somewhere and. Just before they die, they say, fuck you. And they throw the jewels over the fucking side. And you see glitter sparkling everywhere before it hits the floor. Holy shit. I mean, it just it just changed everything. You know, what's going to happen here? How they died, what they did in that last moment, all of those things. Um, I think that, that type of encounter modification to me is more story worthy than it took us 52 rounds to kill the fucking basilisk. I'm not cheapening that. You know, a long fight. Back and forth, back and forth. Two guys went down. They came back up. Jesus Christ, the basilisk almost almost turned five people to stone. We only had six players for crying out loud. It was brutal. Those are fun. But I think those um, behavior modifiers are more entertaining, at least for my money. 
omen owl asks, wouldn't those who allow things to surrender get a reputation so opponents are more likely to surrender? You could. Depends where you're... If you have a... In Midgard, I didn't realize that AJ's running this for us. There's a... Um, you have a fame, like a like a renown. I'm like, huh. And Ilana and I, my, my daughter, were, were racking up a little bit of renown. Not too bad. But I'm like, yeah, that's a good question. If you have a mechanic in your game that says renown, well-known, whatever, Blades in the Dark had like your reputation, all that shit. Yeah. And suddenly the next group that shows up, the next bad guys to deal with, you're like, oh, you're the wuss bags. What? No, we're not. Oh, yeah, you're the wuss bags. Can't even kill anybody. I hear you <laughs> won't even draw blood. What? Yeah, you won't even draw blood. Some band of assassins you are. Weirdness can weirdness can ensue, you know, just on based on your reputation type of deal. I like that. That's a knock-on effect at post-fact. But, Eric, I think uh, Mr. Salisbury, Lenny, I, I hope this helps, you know, from what we're talking about here. But I think that's... I think... Defeating the critter, defeating the bad guy in the fight or whatever. Again, you can modify, you can fudge the dice, you can jack with the hit points. And those, some people tell you never do either of those things. I believe they're 100% legit. You can do that if you want to, if it helps you. And I also think the behavior modification on the fly, coupled with some dice, if it's a if it's a die system, right? Like, hey, I'm going to give this this bad guy advantage right now. Because guess what? My little box here said, you know, we'll protect at all costs. I'm going to decide that this thing is really mad right now. It screams in a bloody rage. It gets advantage on this attack. Okay, neat. You modified that. You gave it a special attack. You're using the core mechanics. It works. Or if you've done gone so far as to build separate versions of the bad guy or the monster, and then you can pick and choose between those versions and then run it. If the crew has been having a really hot night, you're like, you know what? Time to pull up Basilisk number three. Whack. <laughs> Uber Basilisk. Because they're going to eat the beginner one. <laughs> you know, I think that's legit. Yeah, encounters got to be, I think, they could be fudged, like you mentioned, Brett, or or they change it up. Like, put something in there that does something other than detect, surprise, okay, roll for initiative, who's up, Okay, you hit, yeah. you know, 20 hit points of damage. Great. It's bleeding. Okay, great. Next. Let's repeat. Blech. I think if you do it often enough, the behavior on the fly modification, the fun thing is, for me anyway, is then I start to do it more and more in no matter the encounter. Like if I'm like, hey, you know, I really want to spice up this uh, Stormtrooper encounter. Two of them surrender. Or one of them... One of them screams, you know, Charlie, and drags another stormtrooper away to, to help him. You're like, really? I, I never seen him do that before. Uh, that, that's interesting. Stormtroopers need to die. <laughs> I think they're just they're, they're there, just to, there take, to die. That's they're there, to, there die. to take laser fire, and just you know what? Faceless, masked, bad guys. Blaster fire. That's know. their job. So come to blaster fire, boy. But I think I, I have fun modifying simple encounters. Not drastically to, to, I'm not always fucking with the PCs, but just making it a little bit different. Have the goblin screaming, have the, you know, <clears throat> the your super villain or whatever it is, just behaving 
in a way that's a little bit different, sometimes suboptimal, sometimes overly optimal. But um, just messing with that stuff, once you get a, uh, once you get a taste for it, I like doing it quite often because I think it makes things a little more entertaining. Makes in encounters ep- more fun. In episode four of Star Wars, <laughs> the encounter at the beginning of the movie could have just been stormtroopers. Okay, let's see, probably 10. They're going to take over the ship and they're going to search for the plans. All right, see, they get through one door, they get through the second door. Okay, they blast it open, they're going through. Looks like they're getting through pretty easily. Uh, we got to bring in Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> he's got sh- to shake stuff up. Yeah, shake stuff. This is getting boring. Yeah. 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 All right, so you captured it. Princess Leia is like, yeah, well, whatever. Wait, wait, wait. Vader's on board? Oh, fuck. Uh, run, picked one, run, run. Picked the guy up and choked him. All right, yeah. Great. Where's the ambassador, Crumple? Right. <laughs> Just raise the stakes right there. Anyway, Eric, I hope that helped a little bit, man. And if anybody else has ideas about modifying in the fly, um, I tried to. We tried to kind of focus around a couple particular pieces. We probably touched on other shit we didn't even realize, and or inspired one of you all to have a better idea or a different idea. Hit us with it. Let us know what you think. Shall we? Die roll. 2d4. Miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery want to bring to you. All right. First one on the list. New Marvel RPG. Our buddy Matt Forbeck's going to be doing it. Uh, The D616 system. So check that out. If you're a Marvel RPG aficionado. There uh, is, uh, oh, just so you know, um, in the fictional Marvel universe, I had to look this up to verify, but Earth 616 is the primary continuity for the Marvel universe, hence the uh, die system being called that, which is pretty fucking cool. Neat. I like Matt. I like Forbeck. He's a, he's a fun dude. He's just an all-around cool guy, and he's one of the biggest damn nerds I've ever met. Who's doing fun ass nerd stuff? <laughs> oh, he's a cool guy. He's he's in, he's involved. So that's pretty yeah. neat. What else we got? Wizards of the Coast released the first edition Gamma World bundle on the drive-throughs. Huh. Did you ever play Gamma World, Ben? I never played Gamma World in any of its in any of its iterations. I think I have played a few different. I know I played a few different editions, and I've never done more than like make characters and play a little bit of one session. That was ages back. High school, early college. I should try that one again. All right. Durf. This one just came across on Twitter. I happened to take a look at it. An adventure game for brave adventurers by Emil Bowen. Um, check it out. Looks like a rules light type of system. Uh, I think it's free. And you can reproduce it and alter it under a common uh, Creative Commons license. So it's like... Go nuts, hack it up. Yeah, for the website, it pulls inspiration from games like uh, Ben Milton's Nave and Daniel Sells Troika. So yes. that type of thing. Interesting. Do you see this one, the next one? The Dying Earth box set? Yeah. Yeah, for DCC, Goodman Games is going to do it. I I don't know. I know enough. I've started to read the Dying Earth series by Jack Vance. I know enough about it. I almost want to play... If I was going to do it, I feel like I'd want to do the Pelgrane Press Dying Earth instead. 
I don't know. I don't know if DCC would be the engine I want to do that. DCC and spell burning and spell duels meets Vance in magic. In Jack Vance's world. No, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Could be interesting. Don't know I'm sure it'll do. be fantastic. Wow. If nothing else, the production values will be great. It'll be a huge value. It'll be fun. It'll be good. It'll be it'll huge. Be Lastly, but not leastly, thanks to Sweefer, the monsters know what they're doing by Keith Amon. Combat tactics for DMs. Very fun. There you Very go. Cool. There you go, Mr. Salzweedle. Just read a book. Read a book, why don't you? Damn. Read a book, goddammit. Jesus, man. <laughs> no, that's actually it's even really on cool. audiobook. I, even on audio. The cool thing about this stuff now is that it's not just... I, this is why in this community, other people have got these ideas to other places and things that they've read and done. There's so much stuff out there right now. It's so hard to keep track of what what the latest scuttlebutt is on this, that, and the other thing. So that's awesome. Thank you. Very good. Yeah, that wraps up the uh, die roll for this week. What in the hell are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, Sean, you've been begging for it, so here it comes. What makes a good player? <gasps> so I, I assume um, I got all my talking out this week. So I assume next week can be Sean. What makes a good player? Is it what makes a good player? I, I, or this, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit pause on my mic and I'm just gonna sit back and let you go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Is it what makes a good player or how to be a good player? You told me you wanted what makes a good player. You can change it. It's up to you. Okay. But we can attack it from a number of different angles. Oh, boy. Yeah. Like I said, I'm just going to oh, throw the topic over to Sean, get myself a cold one, meet my mic, and uh, watch him go. <laughs> we need some player love. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's next next Monday. Excellent. Well, fantastic. Looking forward to that one, I think. I'm looking forward uh, to every one we do. Of course you do. They're awesome. They are awesome. All right. Hey, I just want to say thanks. Brett and I want to say thanks to everybody that joined us live during this live taping of Gaming NBS. You can catch us out live on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central Time here on Twitch.tv. Just go to GamingNBS.com forward slash Twitch. And if you see us on YouTube, give us a like or a subscribe would be greatly appreciated. Otherwise, you can find uh, the audio version of this at your fi- favorite podcatcher of choice. Just do a search for Gaming and BS and hit subscribe. Otherwise, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's the show. That's the show. So, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS produced with help from the following BSers. Vornak. Bob Fletcher, Roger French, Kevin Keneally, Miniature Master Tendrils, Mike Coleman, Wayne Peacock, Michael O'Holland, Chris Shore, Porkis Dorcas, Todd Sharp, Craig Shipman, AWOL Trooper, Quigley Malcolm, Larry Hollis, Isaiah Aries Christian, The Duke in Purple, Ed Nyes, Jay Plata, Adam Grotejohn, Phil McClory, $1 Adventure Frameworks, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Daniel Garrett, Jim Ingram, Rory Weston, Mike Hess Jr., Ghost GM, Hoos Carl, Eric Tavola, Cole Cago, Henry Newcomb, Militia Bashinsky, Harrigan, David F. Baylog, Rich Wishon, Brian Rumble, Aaron Coleman, Jeff Goad, Aaron Ralia, Niall Diamond, Maurice, Corey Gonzalez, John Kayward, Jeff Seifert, Andy Olson, Michael Dinos, Eric Avia, Perry Besor, 
Laramie Wall, Brian Kurtz, Robert Nemeth, George Sedgwick, Eric Salzvaddle, Angus, Corey Welch, Josh Wallace, Howard Bishop, Craig, Sky, Chad Gleeman, Mark Richman, Ron Bishop, Larry Hout, Curtis Takahashi, Christopher Lang, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Jim Fitzpatrick, Ray Otis, Jared Rasher, Stefan Dragonspawn, Roger Braslett, Craig Huber, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Eileen Barnes, Brandon Barnes, Pure Mongrel, Merkel Froelich, Mark Tasaka, Jason Hobbs, Chris Steele, Andy Hall, Eric Jeppesen, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Old School DM, and Joe Swick. Hey, interested in playing some games? Maybe trying something new? Head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash games. It's going to take you to a forum post. In that forum post, it'll point you to a spreadsheet where game masters are putting games they're willing to run for fellow BSers. There you can sign up. Or head over to the sheet that says players, and then you can put down some games on your wish list. Maybe a game master will catch it and run it for you. Anyways, it's a good opportunity for trying new games and playing with new people. So again, head over to gamingabs.com forward slash games. Thanks, BSers! This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.